Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, former professor of theology and culture at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where he also served as their fourth president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Thanks for joining us again. So, okay, in the weeks before Christmas, I was on this group chat with my family. It's like my brothers, my parents, my husband. And we developed this running joke because my brothers wanted to get my daughters, I have three daughters, they wanted to get them a gift for Christmas. And my daughters kept telling their uncles that they wanted dolls for Christmas, specifically Elsa. I have one daughter who's really into Frozen. And then as my other daughter calls her Jazzman, she wanted some Jazzman dolls for Christmas. Um, but my brothers kept telling them that they were going to buy them Megan dolls for Christmas. Of course, my daughters had no idea what that was, but that became a running joke. We're sharing all these Megan gifs and Chucky gifs and basically every single creepy doll gif that or gif that um, exists on, on, on our phones together. In other words, Christmas and that thread turned very darkly, very quickly or very dark, very quickly. Um, and if you have no idea what I'm talking about. So Megan is this movie that came out like a month or so ago. It's about this roboticist who creates, he uses artificial intelligence to create this doll to be a companion for little girls. And I think, I've not seen this, I'm a big um, scaredy cat, but apparently she gives the doll or a prototype of it to her own niece. And then it turns out terribly because this doll starts to kill anybody who poses a threat as a threat to this little girl. I'm going somewhere with all of this. <laughs> but all of this like Megan talk reminded me of how prevalent artificial intelligence really is. And I think that what's so alluring about that movie is that it captures both of our interests and our fears at the same time. And so I was hoping to dedicate today's conversation to the topic of artificial intelligence because I want to tackle it from a Christian worldview. That's why you're here. Um, but I... I don't think it's merely Christians who are really struggling with it. I think everybody kind of has weird mixed feelings about artificial intelligence. So I was hoping that maybe you could start us off by just providing maybe like a brief background um, about how AI really gained prominence, like on the cultural playing field. And then also talk about like what, how do we know that something is AI? Like what constitutes AI? Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's so funny you described that movie. You said you reading about it, you didn't want to see it. Hearing you, I want to see it now. Oh gosh, I know. Um, actually, I'm familiar with that movie. It, it, it's it's making quite a few waves. Mm-hmm. Um, in his book Life 3.0, uh, subtitle is "Being Human in an Age of Artificial Intelligence," which I think is one of the better books out there to introduce you to this subject. Um, it, Max Tegmark, who's a professor at MIT classifies life into three levels of sophistication. He calls them life 1.0, life 2.0, and life 3.0. And he uses the terms hardware to refer to matter and software to refer to information. And he deems that life 1.0 is life where both the hardware and the software are evolved rather than designed. Human beings, he would put into life 2.0, that's life whose hardware in his language, I mean, where life whose hardware uh, is evolved, but whose software is largely designed. Life 3.0 uh, 
is life that can design not only its software, but also its hardware. In other words, life 3.0 is the master of its own reality, its own destiny. I mean, finally free from its evolutionary shackles. So if something like bacteria is life 1.0, humans are life 2.0, artificial intelligence is life 3.0, or more specifically, artificial uh, general intelligence, AGI. The term artificial intelligence was actually first coined back in the mid-1950s by a Dartmouth mathematics professor named John McCarthy. And, uh, but it's obviously now is when it's looming on the stage. Rudimentary forms of AI are already with us in everything from facial recognition software in Apple's latest phones to uh, our digital assistants like Siri, Alexa, Cortana. Um, but the holy grail is AGI, which is AI, artificial intelligence, reaching human level intelligence, artificial general intelligence, reaching human level intelligence and beyond, being able to accomplish virtually any goal, including learning. Uh, so in short, uh, life 1.0 is biological, life 2.0, he would say is cultural, life 3.0, AI is technological. Mm, interesting. Oh, and you mentioned a couple of examples. I mean, facial recognition software, you mentioned like the virtual assistant or digital assistants. I'm thinking, I mean, like robot vacuum cleaners, you know, um, smart thermostats, um, virtual reality headsets, all that kind of stuff. I just think that People don't realize how often we use AI, but we do a lot. So let's kind of just go ahead and talk about what are some of the benefits that we are taking advantage of, or I guess um, really appreciating in our kind of everyday use of artificial intelligence. Yeah, uh, just a few weeks ago, um, a company called OpenAI, which is a San Francisco uh, artificial intelligence lab, released something that was called ChatGPT. It was a chat box that answers questions uh, in clear, concise prose. And this AI-powered tool uh, immediately caused a sensation with more than a million people using it to create everything from poetry to high school term papers to, I think there were even some rewrites of some old Queen songs. Uh, no area really has created more excitement than uh, generative artificial intelligence, the term for technology that can generate text and images and sounds and other media. Uh, in response to short prompts. And so investors and pundits and journalists have been talking up artificial intelligence for years, but this new wave, the result of more than a decade of research, uh, of research uh, represents a more powerful and more mature breed of AI. Uh, this type of AI promises to reinvent everything from online search engines like Google to photo and graphics editors like Photoshop or digital assistants like Alexa and Siri. Ultimately, it could provide a new way of interacting with almost any software, letting people chat with computers and other devices as if they were chatting with another person, almost what you would see in the old Star Trek where they would mm. talk to the computer and that. And so uh, what this holds for possibility is in, and for good and for technological ease and breakthroughs and everything else is, is quite quite dramatic. And it's really happening, not so much, I, don't want, I wanna say more than just in our lifetime, it's happening in our day, like right now is when uh, the real effect and force and, 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 um, and benefit and uh, application of AI is, is happening like as we speak. Mm. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess what I was kind of trying to get to with that question is like, 
just because it's new. I mean, certainly we are drawn to new things. We like the new and shiny and all of that. But like, I'm trying to think of like the promise of AI or like the expectation that we have that makes like the new feel like something that we're drawn to. Like in my case, the way that we use kind of AI in our house in the kind of more basic sense is like for ease, like it, it makes life easier in some ways. Um, like we can find that information instantly, you know, through one of our, um, I don't know, uh, the, we use like an Alexa Alexa or Echo Dot kind of thing. In fact, my kids don't even ask me for homework anymore. Anytime they have a question, they just say, Echo, what is the answer to whatever? And I'm like, oh gosh, they really supplanted my parental role here. But sometimes I'm very grateful because I don't legitimately know the answer. But like there's there's that, like in, in that Megan movie, it's like companionship. I'm just like trying to think of like, what is it that AI is trying to do better that we feel like, yeah, we really we really are drawn to that. Can you think of any other kind of, I don't know. Well, I mean, let's just, let's just talk about, let me, let me rephrase your question. Okay. Rather than, um, we we can talk a lot about what's good about this Mm -hmm. and how it made our life easier, but, um, let's, let's be clear. Uh, tech is anything but benign. Okay. Um, uh, let's talk about the dark side a little bit. Um, Harvard University and MIT both are offering courses on the ethics and regulation of artificial intelligence, and well, they should. When it comes to AI, almost all agree that the goal should uh, not be um, uh, undirected intelligence, but beneficial intelligence, and which is kind of what you know, kind of you were getting at, I think, at first with your question. The main concern, though, isn't with robots, but with intelligence itself. That, that, that's the issue. Intelligence itself, intelligence whose goals uh, can be positive or they can be destructive. And Techmark notes how we, for example, we might build technology that powerful enough to permanently end social scourges. It could also end humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, we might create societies that flourish like, you know, never before um, on earth and perhaps beyond, or it could create this kind of Kafka-esque global surveillance state so powerful that it could never be toppled. I mean, the, the progression really is frightening here when you begin mm-hmm. to, to get into this, the potential progression, you know, of step one, you build human level AGI, you know, artificial general intelligence. Step two, you use that AGI to create super intelligence. And then step three, you use or unleash the super intelligence to take over the world. Uh, Tegmark notes that um, since we humans have managed to dominate Earth's other life forms by outsmarting them, that it's completely plausible that we could be similarly outsmarted and dominated by superintelligence. I know this is the stuff of science fiction movies, but this is where science fiction and science are now becoming one and the same. And that's why you have Tesla and SpaceX founder Elon Musk. Uh, He once told the National Governors Association that his own exposure to AI technology suggests that it is a fundamental risk hmm. to the existence of human civilization. And before he died, cosmologist Stephen Hawking uh, agreed, uh, saying that AI could prove uh, to be the worst event in the history of civilization. Hmm. And then you have others also in the tech world, like Meta founder Mark Zuckerberg, who says, no, that's just completely you know, irresponsible to talk that way. That's not the case. Well, I think I, I think that's a healthy dose of reality, honestly, and just thinking forward, because I think that people like people like me just get caught up in the convenience of it. But the technology or the AI that we're using in our home, like it's so much more advanced than we realized, or, you know, there's so much more, um, 
there's so many more, yeah, I guess like advanced uses of it that we're not familiar with, but we need to be able to play the the movie forward in a matter of speaking, of, of thinking, okay, it might just start with convenience, but there's, unless we kind of put some limits or parameters around it, it could really get out of control. Like I'm thinking even with um, one of the major concerns that I think people are feeling now with even some like the basic AI um, devices that we have in our own homes is the invasion of privacy. Um, like we know in some sense that there's this correlation between, you know, having a conversation on the phone with somebody about something and then, oh my gosh, why am I all of a sudden repeat, like receiving all of these ads about that thing that I just talked about? Like I didn't do even do a Google search for it and already I'm getting all these ads for it. So what, um, but, but then again, it's like, but that doesn't stop us from having those conversations. It doesn't stop us from buying the devices. And so what moral assessments or value judgments are we kind of unconsciously making as we outweigh the pros and cons, or should we be making, I guess, um, yeah. of our use of artificial intelligence? Yeah, yeah. Well, at the very least, um, AI raises a number of challenging moral and spiritual questions. I remember reading, uh, there was a, very thoughtful article in Christianity Today. We'll try to get it in the show notes on this. For example, something like facial recognition can be used to locate um, fugitive criminals. That's a good thing. Yeah. It also can suppress political dissidents in a totalitarian regime. Mm. Uh, various apps and platforms can um, anticipate our preferences, which can be a good thing, mm -hmm. but it also can harvest data, as you mentioned, that invades our privacy. Um, and that's another thing too, that I, I totally agree with you. I, one of my pet peeves is that I, I can do the most, um, you know, I do so much research online and various things. And it's like nowadays, then you're just plagued with all kinds of almost bizarre things that something tied into and you get all these pop-ups, yeah. but, uh, to keep playing this out, technology can speed healing, hmm. but many are also hoping to use it to enhance natural human capabilities or to eliminate undesirable emotions. Uh, which gives a little bit of a different feel. One of the leading Christian thinkers uh, on all things AI, and this is a name that I think would be good for people to get familiar with. He's an Oxford professor. His name's John Lennox. Mm -hmm. And he understands the many benefits that um, AI has to offer. Uh, but he's also keenly aware of the worldview that lies behind many of the secular visions that seek to transform humans into gods and to create utopias through technology. Mm -hmm. uh, Linux notes, and he's right, you know, he says every technological invention has potentiality for good or evil. Sure. Um, the issue is not that one resists advances technologically, but that you learn to control that advance and set it into an ethical framework. And that is what a lot of ethicists are trying to do. A lot of Christian thinkers like Linux are trying to do the, but they're, they're behind. <laughs> yeah. They're behind yeah. because this is all bursting on the scene now, but that's the that's the goal. Well, I think what stands out to me about what you said is that a lot of devices, like we can say, well, they could be used for good or evil, depending on the morality of the person who's using them. But I think that one of the concerns with AI, or at least the plot line of a lot of AI movies, is that we might eventually create AI with the ability to make its own moral or immoral choices. Like, is that even well, in many ways, that's the goal. In many ways, that's the goal is that they would have human level intelligence, that it would be able to make decisions, create and, and you know, and, and, and continue to learn and grow. And, and, and yeah. And let me give you a simple example of morality and AI. Uh, think of a self-driving car mm -hmm. and it faces a life and death situation. Yeah. Uh, it can swerve away from hitting a pedestrian 
or it can save the life of the occupants in the car. It can and will decide, but on what basis are we going to have it decide or is it going to decide? As we grow in our dependence on AI, we're going to need to increasingly allow it to make our decisions for us. That's part of the goal, but that's going to include ethical ones. Uh, even just basic things like a self-driving car is going to have to be filled with ethical decision-making. The more AI is able to think independently, the more we'll have to face where we limit its autonomy if we're even able to limit its autonomy. That's a very scary notion, if we're able to limit its autonomy. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, let me see what else. So at the beginning, and you can feel free to add some thoughts. I just have a couple of questions, but I think my, one of the things that most stood out to me was at the beginning when you were kind of talking about life 1.0, life 2.0, life 3.0. And I thought that's a really interesting framework, but I want to tackle this from a Christian perspective. And I, I think maybe life could be defined differently from a biblical worldview or maybe should be. Like, I, I guess I'm thinking of how AI really asks difficult questions about humanity and the essence of humanity because our artificial intelligence is capable of doing so many things and so quickly that a lot of us can feel, can be left feeling like inferior or useless because of how easily replaced we can seem to be by different forms of artificial intelligence. And so as it continues to, for example, automate more of our jobs, and even if it won't ever be able to replace all of them, who knows, but how will we come to understand like our dignity and value at that yeah. point? And as yeah. it's increasingly being able, being able to be used as a replacement of people in the workplace and relationships, I mentioned companionship, education, and so on, like how do we start to distinguish then what really makes someone human? Yeah. Um, and just as you were talking, may add a quick footnote to our previous question and the answer. I said, you know, the ethicists are playing catch up with all of this and, and, and things like a self-driving car and who, who, does, who is saved. Yeah. Um, if we, we also have an, another issue, which is where does responsibility lie? Right. Uh, and if we outsource responsibility to AI and something goes wrong, who's at fault? This is, this is going to plague the courts. Uh, is AI responsible or is the one who outsourced it to AI responsible? Legally, this is going to be new ground. So it's not just ethically. I mean, legally, this is, this is just going to be a new day as you have, if we're really able to have self-thinking machines. Okay. Down to the, to the question, which is the question. Yeah. Alexis, really the, the heart of the issue. Um, I've long told my graduate students that the doctrine of humanity is by far the most pressing doctrine of our day in regard to culture. Uh, it's the area of Christian thought that is most challenged uh, by the world in which we live and the one where we have the least to draw from historically. Uh, I mean, you find a reflection from Origen or Athanasius or Luther or Melanchthon or Bart or Bruner that speaks to stem cell research or human cloning or transsexualism or artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. So if you study the history of theology, what's called historical theology, as the first five centuries hammered out Christology, and later generations tackled everything from the Holy Spirit to Revelation, ours may very well be the day, I think it is going to be the day, it has to be the day, that is forced to examine the doctrine of humanity in ways that hopefully will serve the church for this moment in time. Um, because if we don't, I don't know who will. Because I, I remember I once heard a story on National Public Radio on the most challenging questions facing science. And the two biggest questions that scientists said puzzled them, perplexed them. What makes us human? And then two, what is consciousness? Mm -hmm. uh, it, pl it plagues them because there is no scientific answer. 
So what does it mean to be human? Let's not leave ourselves hanging. Yeah. Is it our emotions? Is it our brain? Is it a path of inner self-development? Uh, what does it mean to be human? Well, the Bible gives an intriguing answer. Uh, it's simple but profound. Uh, we're told two amazing things. First, that we were made. Uh, we were created personally by God, which means we didn't come from nothingness. We didn't come by chance. We were fashioned, crafted, designed. There is intentionality about each and every one of us. We're not accidents. We were meant to be. You say, what gives us dignity? That gives us enormous dignity mm -hmm. and also enormous worth. Um, because none of us are the same. We've, um, you know, often found it really interesting. People know they, nobody has the same fingerprints, but they don't know that we, uh, we don't have the same retina. We don't have the same vocal pitch. There's so many things about every human being that is unique. But then the Bible throws out a second idea. It says that we weren't just made, but we were made in the image of God. In the Latin phrase, people may have heard, imago dei, the image of God. Mm. So what does that mean? That means that when God made us, he put something of himself in us. He gave us a spark of the eternal, the divine. But what is that? Uh, well, we know it's not a literal image in terms of image of God, meaning we look like God. God is spirit. So we know that's not true. One of the most prominent ideas uh, is that it's our reason or our reasoning abilities. In fact, the term homo sapien literally means thinking being, which tells you how in the history of thought, how much weight was given that in terms of what it meant to be human. Uh, but if it's our reason, you know, that's, that's really not an adequate answer. Because uh, then you have to start asking all other kinds of questions, like, does that mean that those who are more intelligent than others have more of the image of God than others? Uh, second, uh, there doesn't seem to be any sense that Adam and Eve lost any aspect of their intelligence after the fall hmm. and the shattering of the image of God in their lives through sin. Uh, third, it also would mean, just on a note of our conversation, that if, AG, if AGI ever was unleashed, we would have to call it human uh, because the idea of human is reduced to the ability to reason. So for all those reasons and more, I think we have to dig deeper uh, theologically and think about it better. So what is the heart of being made in the image of God? Well, the heart of being made in the image of God is that we are able to respond and relate to God. We were made in the image of the community of the Trinity. In other words, what sets us apart, what the image of God means is that we have a soul. Mm. Uh, and that soul is what allows us to do what only humans can do, which is be in a relationship with God. Nothing else in all of creation carries that standing or holds that position. Nothing else bears the image of God, not plants, not animals, not reptiles, not insects, not fish, not birds, and certainly not artificial intelligence. Mm. That is such a beautiful distinction because as we create things, even as we create forms of artificial intelligence, especially as you said, the goal was like to create something that could, I don't know, also, you know, just have intelligence, have morality in some sense or creating things in our image because that's what we know. I mean, maybe better than our image, things that can do uh, intelligence that can do more than we can or, or faster than we can, but to be made in the image of God is to be made by someone who's perfect. Like we are making things based on our own fallen humanity, but God um, can't create something better than he is. And so he's creating, you know, like his essence of human, of his design in us is very distinct um, from fallen human beings creating, I don't know, technology in our own image. It's, it's not our image that gives value and dignity. It's God's image in us and, and his perfect, his, his perfection, which is, I don't know, we were, we were singing this worship song this past weekend 
And one of the lines of the song was said, sometimes it's so hard being human. And I felt like there was a collective gasp, like in the room, like, yes, like sometimes it is really hard. But based on the conversation that we've had, um, it seems like a greater tragedy of lo is losing sight of the gift of being human made in the image of God and just the intentionality and uniqueness that's inherent in that very fact. So Thank you for taking us there in this conversation. Do you have anything else to add before we wrap up today? No, I'm just glad you didn't ask me if AI is going to prove to be the Antichrist. Oh, gosh. I mean, while we're on the subject. <laughs> I mean, you know. We've talked about aliens and all sorts of things before, so I would well, not. Well, we have gone so many places. I feel like you let me off easy. Oh, gosh. Well, this has been a sh shorter conversation, but I think really helpful. I'm glad that we were able to get to the heart of this matter pretty Yeah, quickly. it's one of those that you either like dip in, dip out, kind of hit a few headlines, or you can spend, you know, hours and hours and hours discussing uh, with all things AI and technology. But hopefully this is kind of a, an introduction to the basic terms and ideas and what it is we're dealing with and how what really does lie at the heart of this for a Christian is um, the use of this and not losing the idea of what it means to be human in the midst of it. Yeah. And you've given us some great resources, which you mentioned will feature in the show notes. So those of us who want to do some, um, a deeper dive, we can do that. So we'll leave it there for now, but thank you guys all for listening and we hope that you have a great week.